Hello and welcome to Sleeper 2021, a series of conversations with the major players in the world of hospitality, experience and design. My name is Guy Dietrich, Editor-at-Large of Sleeper Magazine, and we are building on the success of last year's podcasts that celebrated Sleeper Magazine's 20th anniversary. In this new series of conversations and exchanges, I'll be talking with the designers, owners and operators who have shifted the ways of hospitality. We will be exploring the changes that impacted them, opinions they spearheaded and the shifts they see in our industry. My guest today is Tara Bernard, founder of the eponymously named design studio she established in 2002. Her work includes residential projects across the globe, including yacht interiors, but also bars, restaurants, members clubs, and of course, many hotels. We'll discover more about this and her property development background that includes working with Philippe Stark at U Design Studio. In 2005, she received the Andrew Martin Interior Designer of the Year Award, and in 2019, Condé Nast Traveller included her in their list of the 44 people changing the way we travel, saying that her cleverly crafted spaces have set the tone for what urban hotel design is now. I first met Tara in 2012, when she was our keynote speaker at that year's sleep event. We had met earlier at Belgraves, the first Thompson Hotel in London, and conveniently just around the corner from her London studio. It's a property for which she has a close affinity and is now doing ongoing work with the, the owner once the hotel had relaunched as the Harry Hotel back in 2016. So Tara, welcome, welcome to our podcast series. It's a great pleasure to have you on board. Well, hi there, Guy, and many thanks for inviting me. Tell us, where are you speaking from today, Tara? I'm phoning you from a rather snug office in Switzerland where I have been based most of this year uh, during the lockdown. Fair enough. I saw some postings of, of, of winter walks you were doing um, uh, over the sort of the Christmas uh, season. It's Gestad, isn't it, where you are? Yes, I have um, always sort of straddled my existence between London and um, over here in Switzerland. And I think really what happened was when the sort of first tranche of this pandemic hit us, it, it really was going home for a lot of a few personal family reasons as well. And um, I feel very blessed to be here because although we are in a lockdown like anyone else is facing in Europe or the UK, uh, we do have a lot of great walks around us. And that is the absolute uh, benefit of nature. Yeah, being close to nature. Well, luck, lucky you. So tell us, I mean, you, you mentioned there that it's, it's a lockdown. Is it quite a strict lockdown in, in, uh, in that part of, uh, of Switzerland? It's gone through various stages. Uh, you know, like anywhere, it's always reactions to what's going on. So as we speak right now, we have essential shops open. They have hotels open, but you are, if you're not booked into one, you, you absolutely can't step foot across the premises. And um, in addition, which I think is slightly different to what's going on in the UK, you can meet in a bubble of five people. Okay, so if you've got some some close friends there, then you can obviously um, do a few things together, but presumably not in a bar or a restaurant or anything like that. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, as I said, I feel incredibly grateful that I'm somewhere out of a city. So wherever you are in the world, if you have that kind of freedom to go for these huge walks and have nature as I just said earlier around you makes a very big difference but at the end of the day we are all a little bit stuck and um, I know it's I think it's far worse than the cities of course but I think Europe and the UK at the moment are pretty under similar similar circumstances. 
Yeah, it's it's not easy for anybody, really. Um, Tora, let's uh, let's start at the very beginning and and take a look at your formative years, if you like. Tell us a little bit about that. I grew up in London, and um, certainly in my formative years, I was at school there. I was lucky; we travelled a lot as a family. So I think at a very young age, I was quite exposed to different cities, different cultures. But ultimately, uh, the UK was home and I was at school but not quite long enough <laughs> and um, left uh, a little earlier than perhaps uh, my family would have liked and as a result I ended up working at quite a young age and when you are in your teenage years it's not always that clear what your career will be what you want to do and in a sense those first formative years of out there as a young person working were almost like invaluable apprenticeships. And I took a number of different jobs. Some had an impact, I believe, on what I do today. And not all of them are necessarily in the creative fields. Uh, we'll just go into some of those in a second, but uh, were you quite a rebellious teenager then? Just enough. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. So more the University of Life. Tell us about some of those appointments then that you, um, or those commitments you made uh, and how they, perhaps were nothing to do with what you're doing now, but maybe gave you the emphasis or, or the knowledge to, to help you make that decision uh, uh, to, to steer your life in, in the direction it's taken. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting you refer to it as the university of life, because in so many ways, I really feel that it, it did bring me values that, as I said, manifest today. However, it's not something I would nearly recommend. So when I sit with my nieces and nephews, it's not, you know, I want to see them go to superb universities and, and not take that route. But, you know, to dip into some of the experiences, I worked for a number of years um, at a property firm called Nelson Bakewell. And in that scenario, it was almost like one of the few girls, as I would call it, trading, but we were agents um, and we were working in the commercial sector. and. During my time there, I then moved into uh, restaurants. So in a sense, I was already, without knowing how useful it would be, establishing a very strong understanding on land, the, the value of land, the rentals, the, the components behind what we do today. Without going into every scenario from there, I think I was sort of had a, there was always something very creative in me. And it culminated with me actually joining John Hitchcock's and working with uh, the gang known as U, Y-O-O, with Philippe Stark. And for me, that was pivotal because in a sense, it brought together, it started to marry all the different experiences. We were traveling, we were looking for remarkable sites. We were then, you know, looking at partners or people to collaborate and, you know, from Tokyo to the States. And within those trips, once we secured projects, we were then working on the architecture, the design, the building. And of course, I had the incredible experience of working with Philippe Stark for a period. Yeah, you've been called a, a Stark protege. Would you would you agree with that? I don't know if he would. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, I think he was brilliant because there always was humour. There's a, uh, so much activity in what he did. I don't think our work or my work reflects what he does. I, I really always saw that everything had been, there was, it may not looked 
the way it was joyful it was playful but everything was considered well that's a, that's a great start uh, working with uh, in those in those different sectors when did you sort of really think that interior design is the place for me it was after the, some, of, some of those experiences we've just discussed um i had been looking for a property and found something really unusual which was in a sense raw loft space and this is pre the days where the word loft has sort of been stretched out of all proportion and embarked on a journey at that time to turn it into two apartments i sold the uh roof apartment in a sense that i had organized and achieved planning for and on the basis of that then built out a 4000 square foot loft apartment and eventually then went on to sell it and it had then pulled together all the components it had brought in the in a sense the property side of things a hundred percent i had dived into completely free fall into the interior architecture and design and when the person who bought it wanted everything in it by my clothes and me i realized that we'd stepped into lifestyle design as well so i think i think that was the catalyst Okay, yeah, and, and that comes across in, in a number of things that I've, I've, I've been uh, researching with this idea of the fact that, you know, this, this commercial aspect of what you're doing is, is very strong. And, and I'm guessing this makes you an attractive proposition to people who are looking to recruit you for not only your interior design services, but also this idea of, of um, their financial viability and what have you. Well, I, I, think, I think in the arenas that we're really active in, which is as you mentioned earlier, there, there's all sorts of projects going on, but we've been pretty predominant in the hospitality sections, which uh, doesn't take a rocket science to work out that it's, you know, that's a very tough industry at the moment. But having said that, it means that we're working more business to business as opposed to privates. And, um, and therefore there is a certain, there's a huge difference, I think, between the work of interior architecture, interior design for a private client as there is to the deadlines, the deliverables of a hotel project. And it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's somewhere that we are, are very comfortable with. And, you know, there's a huge, well, for any kind of design, but I, I put a big precedent on there's a huge amount of responsibility in what we do. Okay. What would you say is the most important element of what you do? There is, gosh, I mean, for me immediately, I'm like looking, there's so many components to what we do. I, I think the most important thing is communication and uh, relationships that are built. I think that's vital. And I think from there, obviously there is so many layers that you know, a process to work through, but I really do believe that communication, that connection, listening and understanding is you know, crucial. Perhaps before we go any further, Tara, you could just give us a quick idea of your design style, just for, for some of the listeners who, who may not be familiar with, uh, with your work. Uh, I, I could try. I think on the whole, it's probably focuses at what I would call handsome. It is um, in some ways bold as opposed to overly pretty. However, I think there is always for me uh, a sense of what always had inspired me, the architecture. So quite an industrial feel, elements of industrial, but yet very importantly with the warmth around that. Yeah, I mean, a lot, lot of uh, commentary includes words like industrial. One nice quote I saw was, we are noticeable but remain timeless. 
lots of bold colors, I think, as well. Uh, modern art, mid 20th century furniture, all these elements, I think, combine to make, as you say, a very sort of uh, handsome, perhaps quite masculine feel to your work. Would you agree? I'm going to go more with handsome than maybe masculine, but I definitely think there's um, a boldness. I used that word before to it. And also one thing that is really important to us is the layers. So our aim is to achieve a depth. Okay, layering, I like that. Tell us about some of the the highs and perhaps, um, if you want, some of the lows that you've experienced in your career. Um, Gosh, well, I think there's so... um, so many learning curves on every project and the more we've grown the more we've challenged ourselves so we've not stayed put starting with projects in the very early days in the UK in London working on you know incredible property developments but each time we grew we challenged ourselves so we were traveling further afield the projects were you know growing in terms of scale than the amount of projects so that there's always been challenges and then again reacting as we all have learned to do to the world so 2008 was uh, you know a hurdle that we certainly got through and I couldn't be on this podcast with you today without saying that you know one of a huge challenge and learning curve for us and not exclusive to us but has certainly been 2020 and into this year. What about some of the highs what are you sort of um, proud of? Oh gosh, my team, 100%, um, the people I work with, um, they're my family. I I think they're some incredible talent. I feel, you know, just that just makes every day important to me to see everyone and be with all of these young, thriving talents and where we're getting to. But there's been some really exciting moments as well, some of the projects that we've won. Um, and as I said, at each stage where we could build ourselves to and I remember we first got a phone call from Four Seasons and I think that was given the brand given the gravitas of that brand that was a pretty pivotal moment. Have a look at some of the work that you've done for Four Seasons perhaps in that case. Um, Well we have at the moment a project in uh, Fort Lauderdale which has actually just uh, finish build so we are hoping to see that open by 2022 if not december 21 but um so that that's an incredibly exciting project we've been responsible for the hotel component as well as um working with them on private residences and and And, that that work in fort lauderdale that's with um fort capital and nadim ashi isn't it yes Um, that's right and and but you've also done uh some work with four seasons in london different owner i'm assuming and four seasons new york uh, so what in the terms of the hotel world so a lot of the brands are sometimes owner operator and then sometimes as you've just described there'll be different ownership for the brand so in london uh we worked on the redesign it wasn't such uh an overhaul but it was a refurbishment of their um guest rooms okay guest rooms in london and then you did the empire suite or what was the royal suite i think at the four seasons in new york Again, directly with you with yes, Four Seasons. Again, yeah, that was a directly with the Four Seasons in uh, downtown New York. Okay, um, yeah, and I, I know that um, uh, Fort Fort Partners did the uh, the Surf Club uh, for Four Seasons in in uh, I guess it's Mid Beach or something uh, in Miami. Oh, that's a, that's a phenomenal project. They worked there with uh, um, uh, Martin Brunitsky, and I think he's also working with you up at the uh, the Fort Lauderdale Four Seasons. Yeah, well, he was involved with the restaurant there and did um, yeah. for Thomas Keller and did a beautiful job at the surf club. Um, 
and the surf club was actually by an incredible Parisian designer. You know, they're a, an incredible group to work with. Good. And you, you mentioned, you know, it was a tipping point, which is a, a, a nice little lead, perhaps into, into what's happening uh, right now. What are the experiences uh, that you've had, uh, the, the changes that you've seen over the last 12 months? You mentioned 2020 being a, a very difficult year. How have they changed the way in which you work and perhaps the way in which you design or, or the designs that are coming out of your, your, your office? Well, I mean, it was a year of um, fast track adapting um we shut the offices early march before london actually went into or the uk even went into the a lockdown i think we were much more conscious because uh, you know some of my team are from hong kong and were coming back in january so we were already doing quarantines and i think what's been just pivotal is the migration to working digitally once we got ourselves going so come end of march april we were there was a huge amount of additional work just in terms of making sure that everyone within the teams were staying connected. So beyond all the work and setting up whichever platform, be it Zooms or Teams, there was also a a really um, big emphasis on us of just making sure that everybody was staying in touch. So remote management took up a huge amount of time as well. And in some ways, I've just been in awe of how we have adapted to it, how we've been able to win pitches, how we've been able to design, even though we're all in our separate places. And then, of course, when we can, we've travelled. And one of the things we, we mentioned earlier that I'm in Switzerland, um, and more than just sort of hiding away over COVID, it has always allowed me two key hubs for us, which I can travel to, one being Zurich and one being Milan. So it sounds sounds like this the whole home working from home idea is is, is worked well within the studio, and it's great to hear that you're busy and to see so much work on the books. We'll come to some of that in, in a minute or two. What about design changes in, in terms of of how the way we are living and and the way this pandemic is affecting our, our lives? Has that influenced or is that already influencing the way you design the spaces? I think that we have worked so far with clients with such a long term view. So in a sense that some of the projects that we're doing, we talked of ones that are opening at the end of this year, next year, but many of them we're looking at openings in 22, 23. So I would counter that, that I think the hotels have operationally made huge adjustments to make people feel safe, to bring security, to travel. And um, in terms of how, how interiors matter, how how they change. I think there's a lot more emphasis for people privately on their own homes, how they would handle their own living spaces. But in terms of the hotel sections, I think it has been far more on, uh, on the operational side that there's adapting. But you're, you're not introducing new ways of signage or, or um, uh, uh, flows with it within within a lobby, anything like that. It's it, that's too permanent in your opinion. I think um, to to put that in. Well, I, I think I think I think in any event, people were always looking at, you know, te- um, through technology, improving check ins, making that more efficient. And that's something that will continue to be in play. And there's more emphasis again, as I would say, that slightly falls between design and operational. And of course, yes, for the moment, you know, when we're looking, we've just opened a hotel, the Harry, I think you mentioned it right at the beginning in Hong Kong and that we opened during lockdown 
which was an extraordinary experience to curate all the dressing, styling, final snagging via remote cameras going around and keeping an eye on everything. And finally it opened. I was honestly heartbroken not to be there. And of course, for that project, which is having to embrace, you know, social distancing and a certain amount of people per table. So yes, we absolutely um, would look at sort of interior furniture layouts in restaurants, lobby areas. Right, Tara, thanks for that. Um, just like to, to mention a couple of your, your more recent projects. We talked about the Harry in Hong Kong. Uh, that will be reviewed in Sleeper magazine uh, in the coming months, so look out for that. You've also recently completed the Zentis in Osaka in Japan. That you've entered into our Ahead Asia Awards for 2021. Ahead Awards being the uh, awards for hotel experience in de and design. Tell us, Tara, a little bit about uh, your upcoming projects. We have projects at all varying stages. So we have a number of model room stages so we're building the Rosewood Munich so we are at the moment having to do that because of the pandemic with cameras and virtually. Uh, we also have hopefully in May the opening of the Hollywood Thompson Hotel which is going to be you know really exciting. I'm praying that I can get there um, we'll have to see and in the meantime we have still pretty active in Hong Kong with various private villas and I think this year we were just bowled away when we won a couple of new projects as well which especially given how we're all working to be able to pitch and actually win some of these projects collectively putting forward concepts was really thrilling and we've just started work on a Thompson Hotel it's incredibly thrilling and that project is something we've just embarked on as well as another Rosewood Hotel there's plenty for us to get our teeth into and as I said at various stages it does make it harder that we can't travel and be on site but we are really just as I said learning to adapt this year. For a lot of the people I'm talking to in the in the business are, are, are very busy with conversions and refurbishments obviously whilst the hotels are are, are empty it's a good time to, uh, to get any work that needs to, to be done completed provided of course you've got the capital but tell us Thompson Hollywood I, I think it's got it holds a special place for you doesn't it uh, Hollywood in general I think for anyone it's just incredibly exciting when you get there I've got to know LA Hollywood a little bit better so we actually have two projects going on there and they couldn't be uh, more remote in terms of one of them we're working with um, Frank Geary is the key architect and is opposite the Disney concert hall and that is downtown LA which is an entirely different atmosphere attitude to the Hollywood project for Thompson, which is on Wilcox Avenue and a sort of much more, I think I would call it more local neighborhood. And, um, you know, LA and going there and arriving, working there. That that was a, a huge moment because I traveled in my twenties and I never forget thinking one day I would just, it would be a dream come true to come back here and be building a hotel. So I feel really honored and very like, always still as if it's the first time of winning a new job it always feels that that new feel of the first time every time I get there so it's going to be very exciting to see Hollywood open. Everyone likes Hollywood. Um, <laughs> what, what would you what would you say are the, are the the drivers in these projects what what are the sort of the key elements that you see across across the board with these very varied uh, range of projects? Um, goodness well in terms of I was to answer you in a more practical what are our deliverables we always approach a project in a very similar format you know we will look at that 
a building or hotel and really try to work out what the narrative is. What is the story? What is the personality of it? So, uh, you know, of course, it's going to be slightly indigenous, but what is, in a sense, the DNA? And then from there, we will build up into a concept. And once that concept is agreed, so obviously we have to have a lot of uh, decision making that we're in the right right direction. Uh, we then go on to um, schematic designs that go into detailed designs before we even are on site. So there is a rhythm, there is a process, but I think one of the most important elements is people, is relationships and is the communication. Yeah, as you mentioned. Um, when you get to the concept stage and you're showing sort of mood boards and, and, and material boards and stuff, you can do that to a degree virtually, but a lot of that stuff is tactile. How Are you sending materials out to your clients to then say, okay, have a look at board A, and there you will see the different uh, upholstery fabrics. Is that how it works? Or are they just taking your word for, the, for it that it's a, it's, a, it's a velvet as opposed to a corduroy, for example? We have, most of our presentations are done digitally. And even pre-COVID, when we were traveling, we would be on screen, working through images, going into uh, floor layouts and being able to show material samples, be it the harder spec materials or the softer fabrics on screen. Okay. Now, of course, pre-COVID, we also had all of these laid out as well. So you had that tactile feel. We are, it's never the same with fabrics. It just can't be. However, we are um, getting better and better. So you would be able, if I was showing you a presentation today for one of the guest rooms in Vienna, you would certainly know what was the sort of velvet, where we had a bit of corduroy, what was leather. You would see the colors very clearly. It's not quite the same. So those are the challenges that we have today. But thank God, we've been doing this a long time. So we know our fabrics. And hopefully, when the clients can't get that near it, they, they have a little faith in me still. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'm sure. But I can imagine for tactility for me is a, is a, is a key element in, in how warm a, a, the touch of a, a piece of leather or a piece of uh, metal or stone is. Um, and if you can't get that, that, that must be a really tough one to, to, to persuade your clients. Well, I think. And as I said, we've got something different stages. So for a lot of our projects, the initial stages are all about the um, navigation of space. There's a lot of layouts, there's a lot of elevation. So we don't necessarily have to jump on that immediately depending sure. on where we are with the project. But, you know, at the end of the day, we, we will ship out samples, duplicates wherever needed. Yeah, and I guess that's, you know, all the suppliers are having to work around that as well now and and uh, and hopefully be a bit more helpful in, in sending samples across and what have you. Absolutely. Just as a sort of more general question here, is there anything that you've, are feeling more passionate about today than you were in the last years? Is it something that's really grabbing your attention, uh, something you feel very strongly about? Going back into my office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there is that. I think at the moment it, it would be wonderful to sit back and say the sort of the future, the plan. But if I'm really honest, I think so much of the last year has also been a little bit about not just future proofing but survival um and so for me the, the fact that and i still say this i hope that we will come out of all of this with work with everyone with their super jobs intact traveling building all the incredible projects that you know we, we've been asked to look at and right now that for me is as thrilling as ever to still be doing what we do well yeah surviving is uh, something to definitely be passionate about let's face it 
Um, just to, a, a final wrap up, if you like, um, what's what's next for you at sort of the personal level, the business level, and then perhaps the industry globally? On a business note, I think even though there's been a lot of uh, kind of uncertainty for the hospitality, it's a, an area that we really feel very strong in, very connected to creating lifestyles. We're doing a lot more work on resorts, which I also find fascinating. And I think the more we do, we're, let's say, traveling onwards. I'm, I'm very excited about more work coming up in Asia, where we like to be. So in a sense, doing what we're doing, continuing with that. Um, and even though we've had, as I said, some fragile moments with the hospitality industry remaining within that. Okay. And, and on a personal level, are you, are you sort of striving to be the best version of yourself? And, and if so, in which, in which way do you do that? Um, I, I, I'm a huge person of self-critiquing. So um, I, I suppose, yes, I, I always will, will endeavour to do the best and on a very personal note, you know, try and explore ways, try to see how I can grow. I think one of the things that maybe struck me more than anything was um, being someone who has probably spent the last 10 years not staying in the same place for more than a week. Um, as we talked that I, you know, was based in London, but I was hardly ever there. Travel, Travelling was, in a sense, almost unsustainable. And I think one of the things that's really been important for me is to reevaluate how much of that travel was possibly really necessary. It doesn't mean that I can't wait to move again and have freedom and move. But I think um, living surrounded by nature, which sounds just a throwaway word, but there's a huge importance to me of just being out there and away from screens, away from my work and taking a little bit of time for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, really lucky you. Um, globally, how do you see the how do you see the, the industry looking um, over the next you know, decade or so? Um, we have clients with very long term view. Um, and I think the feeling is optimistic. I think there are um, vaccines out there. And I think once people feel they can, I think people will go back quite rapidly to wanting to travel. Uh, you know, even now we see it, you know, just these um, stay vacations, you know, when you're not traveling out of your country, but the hotels that you can access. Um, I think they they offer, they're like lifestyle palaces of today. You go into a place that is maybe it has a warmth. You know, you asked me earlier about our work in a sense, there's a lot of uh, very residential there's a very home feel in what we do as well and I think to be able to experience that by traveling to different cities or that feeling of going to a resort and ultimately those hotels as I said as well earlier through the operational side will leave people feeling as safe and secure as possible and I think people will go back to wanting to meet friends go to a bar eat in restaurants stay in a hotel Sounds good. A lovely, optimistic uh, note to end on there, Tara. Thank you very much. A survivor uh, and someone with uh, just enough uh, rebellion within them, I think. Tara, thank you very much indeed for your time today. Really appreciate it. And, uh, and thanks and good luck uh, for the rest of the year. Guy, thank you so much. And great having some time with you today. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for asking me. Pleasure. Thank you.